Good morning. It is so good to be back from camp. We had a great time at camp, uh, but they won't let me take my bed, so that's just not fair. And I'm glad to be back to it. Uh, we had a great week of camp, and you'll be proud to know that our young people and most of the adults uh, who went were, <laughs> were great examples and represented this congregation quite well. A lot of our young people went away with some kind of award, some of them kind of funny and some of them quite uh, an honor. Uh, Marley Cackleman, for example, went away with the uh, junior female camper of the week, and I know that... Uh, we're all very proud of her. Her parents doing a great job raising her. All of our parents doing a great job raising our kiddos, and they always do us proud. And they're not perfect, and neither are we, but uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to spend that kind of time with one another. So if you uh, have young ones and are wondering if camp is worth going, it definitely is. Uh, if you have questions about it, let us know, and we'd be glad to tell you more about it. But it is good to be back with you. Last week, we heard an excellent lesson on some of the distinguishing characteristics of the Church of Christ. And I use that phrase, as I believe the Bible does, as a description and not a title. We are the church that belongs to Christ, the church that He purchased with His own blood. And, and it's not a flippant title, as we talked about last week. And as we saw in the Scripture reading just a moment ago, since God's Word refers to us as the church, as a spiritual house. Let's just reflect for a moment on physical houses. I presume that most of us in this audience this morning live in some kind of physical dwelling. And let me just ask a few questions. What do you do when a doorknob turns in your house, but it doesn't open the door? Have you ever had that happen? What do you do in your house when... Uh, your faucet drips and you can't get it to stop dripping. What do you do when, when your refrigerator is not cooling your food properly? When your roof has been damaged by a storm? When a door hasn't been hung properly and it won't shut? When a breaker flips? When a toilet won't flush? When the hot water heater is turned up too high or the HVAC unit stops working? What do you do? Well... If you're like me and most other people, at some point you've got to address those concerns, don't you? Because if you don't, they get worse and worse, and before you know it, you've got a bigger problem. How do you feel about home repairs? Raise your hand if you like them, and you can come to my house when this worship service is over. I don't like them. In fact, just talking about that list, I went through it really quickly. It makes me stressed out. Just thinking about all of that stuff that most of which has gone wrong in the two and a half years that we've been in our house. We're very thankful for it, but it seems like it's always something, doesn't it? And the older the house, the more often these kind of things come up, right? And it's just sort of, you're just sort of waiting for it to happen, like nothing's wrong in the house. Well, what's it going to be this time? Because that's just what seems to happen. Can't this also be the case when it comes to the church? Since the church is made up of fallible and sinful creatures like you and me, we're similar to a physical house in this respect. There are problems, aren't there? There are issues, there are regular maintenance 
issues that have to be addressed. The, the difference might be that we usually cause our own problems. The house can't really be blamed, but we can, right? This is likely one of the reasons that a lot of people in this country are becoming what some have called de-churched. Have you heard that term? De-churched? They once went to church, they once belonged to a church, but they have separated themselves from that. According to a 2017 study by the Barna Group, the de-churched make up about 10% of the population of this country. It's probably gone up since 2017, if I had to guess. But this 10% of our population claims to have a sincere faith, and 89% of them, almost all of them, say they've made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that's still important to their life today, but they are done with the Lord's people. In fact, they might say something like this, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. Jesus is wonderful, but His people are not. And if you've ever been in the church for a long period of time, you might realize that those people have probably experienced something very legitimate and very real. No one's saying that we're perfect. And this approach might make sense to these people. It might even make sense to you this morning, but is this a biblical idea? That we can love Jesus, that we can have a personal relationship with Him and, and yet disengage and disassociate ourselves from His church? This same study revealed that only 26% of the people among the de-churched even read the Scriptures anymore. But let's go over a few passages this morning as we think about ourselves as God's house and our responsibilities towards one another. The Bible is our guidebook, correct? And if the Bible tells us that we have a responsibility toward one another that, that can't be accomplished outside of our fellowship, then we need to take that very seriously. So let's look at a few verses as an introduction this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is very difficult to do, if you haven't noticed, when we're not together, isn't it? We've experienced some of this separation through, through no choice of our own over the last year or so, but you, did you find it to be as difficult as I did? To encourage one another and build one another up when you are not around each other. It can be done. There's ways of doing it, but it's, it's quite difficult. And I think we would all agree that this past year has certainly not been something that God would want us to continue. It's not God's plan for us to be separated for any length of time. Acts chapter 9 verse 21, or 31 rather, says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I'm sure you notice in that verse, all of the things that are being talked about, the peace, the building up, the spiritual lifestyle, and that growth happened to the entire group. The church was experiencing these things as a group of believers. If you look at a passage like Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God 
by the Spirit. This is more imagery from the world of architecture. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The whole structure joined together. Are you seeing these words? We're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a group thing, if you'll pardon the phrase. It's very personal, but it's also very collective. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, which we just read, we are being built up as a spiritual house as God's people. We're living stones. Now let me ask you a question. If your house is made up of stones or, or brick or anything like that, what happens if you start removing those? And you continue to remove those because after all, it doesn't really matter that they're all together. I've got all of the, the pieces. So if I've got all the pieces, I must have a house. Well, nobody's silly enough to think that that's true. And yet some people who call themselves Christians are silly enough to think that they can separate themselves from God's people and still survive spiritually. And that's just simply not a biblical teaching. Hebrews chapter 10 Beginning in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. These exhortations and commandments that are given in, in this passage, does this sound like something that can be accomplished separate from God's people? How am I to consider how to stir you up? And how are you to consider how to stir me up to love and good works if we're not in each other's presence? We don't need to be forsaking the, the assembling of ourselves together. That's really the, the whole point of this passage. And it sounds like it would be, in context, a deliberate sin to remove ourselves from the body, doesn't it? Sounds like it would be a sin against God to say, well, I just don't need to be part of that. Since you're here this morning, I'm guessing you're not part of the de-churched percentage of this population. If you're visiting with us this morning, if it's your first time to come to a worship assembly, maybe you are. Or if you used to come and, and this is your first time back in a while, maybe that does describe you. I don't know. But for most of us, probably not. So what I'd like to spend a few minutes this morning talking about is three approaches that those of us who consider ourselves Christians sometimes take toward the Lord's church. Three approaches, and, and they sort of go from bad to good. And you'll see that progression uh, so as we begin this, let me just suggest the first approach is the house party approach. Okay? The house party approach. What are we talking about when we say that? Well, have you ever been to a house party? Don't raise your hand. But don't let me, don't let me stand up here and think that among all of these people, all of us whom are sinners, that somebody somewhere in this audience hasn't ever been to a house party. I'll give you the seventh grade equivalent from my experience, and maybe this will help. When I was in seventh grade, I went to a private Christian school. There were about 35 people in our class. About half of them were boys. And one of my good friends had a birthday party one weekend. And his parents loaded us all up in their several large vehicles. They had more money than we did. That's all I can tell you. I don't know how much, but it was more than I had. 
They took us all to McDonald's, which might as well have been the outback for a seventh grader. They, they got us all something to eat. Then they took us all to the movie theater and paid for the movie and paid for the food that we ate at the movie, which was considerable. And then they took us all back to his house where he had a room in his basement. And guess what we did to that room? Anybody want to guess how polite and, and, and considerate we were towards that boy's basement room at seventh grade? All those boys? Another thing that this family did, they took us to the mall and they bought us all a Zebra 2 toy pistol. Does anybody remember those? They shot little yellow pellets. They bought us all one of those guns and they bought us all some refills of those pellets. And to this day, this friend's mother comes up to me and says, I'm still finding those yellow pellets in the carpet. Because my attitude, and the, really the attitude of every boy in that basement that night was, it's not my house. I'm only here for one night. Somebody else, I don't know who, but somebody else will clean up this mess. Or nobody will notice it, which we didn't think that. We weren't that dumb. We knew it would be noticed, but, but this house exists. We didn't say it out loud, but this house exists tonight so that I can have fun. It exists for me. This is all about me. That's what we're talking about when we talk about a house party approach. Are you with me? This is all for me. And if it doesn't serve me, then it's not serving its purpose. Now, how will we see this exemplified in the Scriptures? Did anybody ever take this approach toward the Lord's church? Well, they absolutely did. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to look at some of these passages on the screen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning around verse 3. Paul says to Timothy, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now what you'll notice in this passage is the following, okay? This mindset, this approach toward the church begins with a selfish, conceited, self-centered person who imagines that all of this is for their gain. Did you see that in the last part? It's for their gain. And unless you've never noticed, a self-centered person is naturally, I've been one, I know this to be true, naturally going to have a lack of understanding about pretty much everything but himself. Because that's all he cares about. Especially as it regards the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Why are they going to be misunderstood about all that? Because they're only concerned with what they crave. If it doesn't make me happy, if it doesn't fulfill my desires, I don't have any interest in it, and therefore I'm not going to understand it very well. These cravings, Paul says, are unhealthy. And if we could sum up what happens in these situations when these people take this approach, they make a huge mess in the church. And, and they, they think that uh, this is all for their benefit. And so they, they go around behaving that way. And they uh, turn over drinks, as it were. And they leave little yellow pellets in the carpet for somebody else to pick up. And, and they, they shove sandwiches and tacos behind the couch cushion because nobody looks there. 
they make a huge mess. Let's get a little more specific. You've heard of the man named Diotrephes, 3 John verses 9 and 10. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. And also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes saw the church and approached it as his own little house party. I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to do this in a way that pleases me. Now in context, John is essentially encouraging Gaius, and you see that in the first part of the chapter, in his efforts to encourage and support and show hospitality to visiting missionaries and fellow workers for the truth. That's what John is encouraging Gaius to do. John was the elder and an apostle, and he's attempted to write these kinds of encouragements to the local church about these issues. But you know what's happened with those communications? Diotrephes cuts them off. He does not acknowledge John's authority, which is strange because Jesus did. Diotrephes doesn't acknowledge John's authority. We don't want to hear what he has to say. He's a particularly dangerous and destructive person because he seems to be in a position of leadership, doesn't he? Some kind of position where he's, he's, he's allowed to stop these communications. He's allowed to decide what gets in and what doesn't. It's really challenging, isn't it, when a leader from within the church treats it like a house party. That's challenging. We see some of the same qualities that we just saw in Paul's letter to Timothy. This guy likes to put himself first or loves to have the preeminence among them, as your translation might say. He slanders John. With evil and false accusations, he refuses to show hospitality to visiting brethren, and he stops anybody else who tries to do that, and he puts them out of the church as if it belongs to him. Does it? No. He didn't die for it. He didn't build it. Boy, he sure is treating it like his own little private house party. As if he can treat God's people however he wants. Titus chapter 1. Let's talk about the circumcision party. Paul said to Titus, There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. These are Jews who won't let go of the old law. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Toward the end of that passage, Paul says they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. We see some similar behavior here, don't we, toward God's people. They're mistreating God's people. They're, they're wrong about the truth. They're selfish, they're proud, they're dishonest, they're loud, and they're trashing the house. All the while claiming to be Christians. Let me say this, and, and this has no particular person in mind, but let me just make a statement of truth based on what we're talking about. The church is no place for our opinionated, preference-based, and divisive agendas. Those things can be wrecking balls. When everything's about what we want and what we prefer and what we like, we wreck God's house. This approach is devastating to the church. 
And if you've ever known a Diotrephes, or if you've ever known a group of people like the circumcision party, you know this to be true. You've felt it. You've experienced it. This approach hurts the church. And it will be punished by God. So how will I know? How will I expose this in my own life? Well, let me just ask a, a few questions here. Are you self-centered in your approach toward the Lord's church? Do you say things like, well, I really didn't get much out of that lesson. Or I really didn't like the songs that we sang this morning. Or no one talked to me this morning at worship. Do you say things like that? Are you really opinionated about the things that matter to you in the sense that you will voice those opinions sometimes in a not so kind way to anyone who will listen, causing some division along the way probably? Are you only interested in the things that benefit you? Let me tell you, what you're probably doing if this is you is you're probably making a big mess that other people are going to have to come behind you and clean up. You're probably making a big mess everywhere you go. And you probably don't have any appreciation, just like none of these people did, for those who have come before you and helped build this, for Christ Himself who gave His life for it, and for those who are going to have to come behind you and, and fix it. So, I would seriously doubt, I'm, I'm not sure about this, but I would seriously doubt there's too many of us in here this morning that take the house party approach to the church. I hope there's, there's none, but there's probably very few. I don't believe that that would be true of anybody that I know here. But if this describes you, please be aware of how damaging this is going to be and has already been. But let's move forward to our second approach, what I would call the hotel approach. You ever been to a hotel? You should go if you haven't been. It's really fun. You, put your, you give them your money and you go into the room. And it's like you're a king. It's your room for the night. You can pretty much do whatever you want to do in a hotel, right? There's a certain approach that we take, and it's different from the house party approach for most of us. For most of us, there's, when we go to a hotel, there's expectations, right? There's a sense of entitlement, justifiably so, because we're paying to be there, right? It better be good. You know, the bed better be made, and I'd like to have one of those little chocolates on my pillow, please. And there better be enough towels and toilet paper and just everything ought to be just so. And if I call the front desk, you better pick up after ring number two or we're going to have some problems. Because I'm giving you 80 or 90 or $150 to stay here tonight and, and everything ought to jump when I say jump. If things don't go the way that I think they should go, you know what? I don't have to stay here, do I? There's an emphasis in a hotel on the experience, isn't there? The amenities. Since there's lots of hotels. And if I don't like yours, I can go find another one who will be more interested in what I want. Now, we're more careful than those who take the house party approach. But it's still not our house, is it? They're not our towels. It's not our iron. And you can tell, can't you? How many of you would like to just take a hotel iron home with you? No, they all leak. I don't know why, but they all leak. They ruin clothes. It's not our stuff. It's not our TV. It's not our remote. We don't necessarily take the best care of it while we're there, do we? It's a little one-night adventure. 
We know it's not part of our actual real life and we're going to behave much differently in our hotel room than we would in our own home. And don't ask somebody who's staying in a hotel to do much, right? Well, I was in a hotel recently and there was a little sign in the bathroom that said, please hang up your towels. And I thought, that's ridiculous. You come hang up my towel. And I couldn't believe I was thinking that. I was like, why, why would I be opposed to that? Why would I be offended by them asking me to hang up a towel? But I sure was. Have you ever called the front desk and said, can you send out some towels? And they say, can you just come down and get them? And you think, what in the world? How dare you ask me to come downstairs, put on my pajamas, and get some towels? It's ridiculous. This is our attitude sometimes. It's almost like a switch is flipped. I'm in a hotel do everything that I want or I'm going to be disappointed and when it comes to the comment card you better believe I'm going to let you have it. The hotel approach. Now, we ever see this in Scripture? Absolutely. Consider the crowds that followed Jesus during His ministry. John 6, for example. Very interested in Him when He was what? When he was doing something for them or providing something for them. But as soon as the discussion shifted to, hey, I'm going to need you to hang up your towels, how dare you? I'm going to need you to stop thinking about the bread that I'm providing you physically and start looking to me as the bread of life. Well, we're not up for that. That's a little more than we had in mind when we showed up to the sermon today, Jesus. As soon as the discussion shifted to anything difficult, anything that might require something from them, they quickly disappeared. Philippians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For listen to this, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Isn't that sad? Paul knew some really spiritual people, some really servant-minded Christians, and even among those that he knew who were supposedly servants of the Lord, Paul sometimes had a hard time finding someone who was genuinely concerned about what Jesus wanted them to be concerned about. I don't have anyone like him. They're all looking to their own interests. The prophet Amos had an audience who was quite attentive to their feasts and their solemn assemblies and their burnt offerings and grain offerings and their songs, but none of that was pleasing to God. And you know why? Because it had been separated from the rest of their lives. There was a huge emphasis, even in Amos' day, on proper worship. But justice and righteousness and humility had been abandoned. They were much more interested in being at ease, secure, and fed than they were in their true spiritual condition. It was a hotel. Just a hotel. Where, where ultimately, I'm going to go through the motions, but it's really about me and what I really want to do and how I really want to live my life. So how would you know if this was you? Well, you're probably very demanding you're probably very quick to go to the elders when you have a complaint about something that just doesn't suit you. I'm not talking about something that needs to be talked about. I'm talking about something that just didn't go your way. Very demanding and, and very consumer-minded. Which is an unbiblical mindset, but it's been enabled in quite a few churches, hasn't it? 
you complain loud enough and long enough, eventually somebody will do what you want to do, right? If you call the front desk enough times, they'll bring your towels up. But that approach toward the church is, again, quite damaging. If you don't get your way, you get louder or you just leave. Now, like Amos's audience, worship is probably really important to you to the point that you probably get angry and hostile if it's not done properly. But how you live your life is nobody else's business. Because with the hotel approach to the church, your commitment to the Lord's church is compartmentalized. It's conditional. I'm only going to do it if these things are met. If these conditions are met, if I'm happy, if I'm taken care of, if, if everyone is sort of centered around me, then I'll have that commitment. But really, you only care, as a hotel customer might say, about your own experience. Now, you may have never thought of it that way. There have been times in my life when I didn't think of it that way, but that has certainly, I'll just confess, that's certainly been my approach toward the Lord's church at certain times in my life. Could we all be honest at least a little bit and admit that we've probably dipped into this approach a time or two? We're trained to do this in our culture. We're trained that if something doesn't go our way, that if it doesn't meet our expectations, that we should just complain. And if we do it loud enough and long enough, it'll get addressed and we'll get what we want. That's just not God's way. That's not what the Bible teaches. I believe that the majority of so-called Christianity in this country probably falls under this approach, don't you? I don't like that. I, I, I wish that weren't true. But that seems to be the case. Let's move on to, to the last approach that hopefully you and I have. And if we don't have it, maybe we will. And that's the homeowner approach. Now, what are we talking about with the homeowner approach? What is the typical approach that a person takes toward a home when they own it? It changes things, doesn't it? It changes it when it's your house and it's money that you're paying every month or a large sum that you paid at the beginning. That changes the way you see it, doesn't it? We had an issue at our house with some water leaks. And I'm going to give a free plug for David Schofield. He does a good job, okay? David, thank you. Comes by to check our water leaks, and he notices a problem that we didn't even know about. He sent me pictures of the cutoffs under our sink, which I didn't know what that was. And these cutoffs just look as nasty as a piece of metal can possibly look. And he explains that, you know, most people don't know about this. These old houses were built with these cutoffs, and I'm probably generating business. I need a commission, Dave, when this is over, if you get a lot of business. But I didn't know about it. I wouldn't have known about it, but if we kept going, it would have been a big problem. David showed me the problem, and you know what I said? Well, I don't care, Dave. Just do what I asked you to do, and, and let's just call it a day. No, that would have been silly. You're telling me there's going to be a huge problem if I don't do something about it. Replace them then. Go ahead and replace them. And the cost of that is, is little to nothing compared to what it would have turned into, right? That's what a homeowner does. There's a problem. We need to fix it because I don't want a bigger problem. They own the issues, don't they? They fix them promptly and properly because they know they could get worse. And they don't want that. Their home is an investment. They tend to take better care of their furniture and their appliances and their dishes if it's theirs. There's a high level of ownership 
and a good kind of pride that someone has when it's their home, isn't there? If you're renting a house right now, I can promise you this, you may take very good care of it, but you won't take as much care of it as you will when you buy one. It just flips a switch in the way that you think. How is this exemplified in the Scriptures? Well, certainly 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 talk to us about the body of Christ and reminds us we're all connected. That if one member suffers, we all suffer. If, if one member rejoices, we rejoice with them. That, that nobody's unimportant. That we're, we're all important to each other. That the actions of one affect everybody else. And it encourages us basically in, in so many words that if you've got an issue within the Lord's body, deal with it. If somebody's hurting, hurt with them because that, that will help make it better quicker. Help each other. Heal each other. Rejoice with each other. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, if you've been a Christian very long, you know how difficult this can be to do this, don't you? But it's not nearly as difficult as trying to pick up the pieces when we haven't been doing it. You follow me? When we haven't been admonishing the idle, and we haven't been encouraging the faint-hearted, and we haven't been helping the weak, and we haven't been patient, well, we're getting ready for some much bigger problems, aren't we? When we do this, we take care of God's house. As if it belongs to us, because in a way it does. Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, Paul knew that the relationship between these two sisters in Christ, Euodia and Syntyche, was an important part of the fabric of that church. You remember this passage. He, he asked for help in reconciling these two women. He mentioned them by name, and it wasn't to embarrass them. It was to make sure that their names remained in the book of life. And because of the importance of the work and the labor that they were all engaged in, Paul was not disconnected. Paul didn't say, well, you wrote to me about these two ladies. That's your problem. No, Paul said, let's get this taken care of because this is my business just as much as it is your business because we're all about the Father's business, right? Make it your business. Be a homeowner. 1 Corinthians 5, the Corinthian church had a lot of problems and this chapter deals with one of the more egregious sins among them. But Paul knew if this is not dealt with appropriately and promptly and properly, then it would leaven the whole lump. It would cause bigger problems. And he says, this is family business. Take care of this now. And based on a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, it at least seems possible that they did. That they obeyed Paul's instructions in this matter. So how would you and I know if we're taking this approach, this correct and biblical approach, Approach. Well, here's a few things as we close. If you're taking the homeowner approach within the Lord's church, you are consistently concerned with removing planks from your own eye before you point out specks in the eyes of other people. That's just what you do. You are constantly and daily looking into the mirror of God's Word and taking care of your own issues and your own maintenance, if you will, before you point out the dripping faucet on the third row from the back. That's the homeowner approach. Let's take care of my problems first. Number two, you're connected in very real ways. Notice how I said real ways. To the head of the church and to the body. 
You're connected. Now let me tell you what that doesn't mean, and I hope this doesn't hurt your feelings. That doesn't mean that since you're here this morning, you are connected in a real way. It doesn't mean that. It's good that you're here. It's part of God's plan. But there's so much more to it, isn't there? If we're not connected in very real ways to the head and to the rest of the body, we cannot obey the commands that we looked at at the beginning of this lesson. It's not possible. Number three, you consider a problem within the Lord's church to be your business instead of someone else's business. That's a homeowner approach. I see a problem. I think I'm going to do what I can to address it. Now, I may need some help. But I'm not going to ignore it and I'm not going to pass it off on somebody else. Finally, you are willing to get your hands dirty. To take up some of your valuable time. To make some sacrifices. To fix something within the Lord's church. Within the household of faith. So that we can remain strong and healthy. That's the homeowner approach. If one of my children comes to me in the middle of the night and says, Dad, there's a big hole in the roof right above my room. I'm probably not going to say, well, the rest of the house is fine. Get an umbrella. I'm probably going to drop what I'm doing. I'm probably going to call David. Sorry, David. And we're going to get it fixed, right? Because that could turn into a bigger problem. So, if I ask you this morning, which approach are you taking to God's family? What would be your answer? An honest answer this morning. The Lord's church is not a destination. It's not an experience or a compartment of life. It's not a come and go house party. It's the household of faith. It's the blood-bought body of Christ. It is family. And should be treated as such, shouldn't it? So this morning, if, if you're not part of this body, if you're not part of this family, God wants you to be and so do we. And if you need to know more about that and, and how do you do that and what does that involve, we can sit down and talk with you about that, study God's Word and see what He says. For most of us here this morning, we are part of the Lord's church. We are members of this body. And sometimes we don't approach it properly, do we? So if that's been you, if you've made a wreck out of God's house, if you have been a consumer-minded Christian, if you have been self-centered or selfish and you want to make that right, you may be able to do that from your seat this morning. But if there are things that need to be said that you want the rest of the body to hear, and if there's a way we can pray for you or help you in any way, we do invite you to come. The Lord's invitation is always open, but we invite you to come this morning with any spiritual needs as we 